it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. I'm Matt Kierkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week, I catch up with Russ Gosling, head brewer at Little Creatures Fremantle. Regular listeners will know that I hold a special place in my beer drinker's heart for Little Creatures Pale Ale, and also for the venue at Fremantle. With this podcast being a decade old, and Russ having been at the brewery for 17 years, it seems a statistical anomaly that we haven't spoken with Russ before. But now we have, and it's a great chat. As always, we learn how Russ came to be a brewer and then how he came to move from the UK to Australia to brew for Little Creatures. We tackle the widespread perception that Little Creatures Pale Ale has somehow changed. And we discuss classic and emerging hops, beer styles, and the challenges of staying relevant in a dynamic and rapidly evolving beer market. It's a great chat with a quietly passionate brewer talking about what he loves. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Russ Gosling, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Thank you very much, Matt. Coming to it WA, it's, you know, on the other side of the country, so I get to do all of these long overdue conversations. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually thrilled to be sitting here overlooking the water in, uh, in, in Fremantle, one of my all-time favourite uh, breweries, and speaking to the man who makes one of my all-time uh, favourite beers. So uh, this is quite the thrill for me. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so the way that we often start these conversations is, you know, Tell us who is Ross Gosling. Look, I don't know how much I want to bore you to death with, but um, basically my um, brewing career started in the UK. Um, I was going to say, you don't sound like you're from around these parts. No, I'm from Leicester in England. This <laughs> is not on the tourist map. It's not the glamorous part. <laughs> but I did, I did a degree in cell and molecular biology and... Um, in my final year, when you know everyone in their final year kind of contemplates what the future holds and what they're going to do with the rest of their life when they grow up, um, I, I did not want to work in a lab, which is basically what my dissertation and, and all the rest of it was was about. And I, I actually did a, a module called fermentation studies with um, uh, Catherine Smart, who's now professor of brewing for uh, SAB or wherever she is these days. And she was. Head of the IB, uh, IBD for a... Yeah. Yes, yep. Yeah. So I did this module called Fermentation Studies and, and Catherine took us around uh, the local brewery, which was Morell's Brewery in Oxford. And the head brewer gave a small uh, group of us a tour and at the end of it I, I said, I know what I want to do with the rest of my life. I'd like to make beer. So I went and saw Catherine and had a coffee with her and um, she said, you need to speak to this guy and write down a, a name and number on a piece of paper and give it to me. And it was Graham Stewart at uh, Harriet White University. So I gave him a ring and uh, I was a bit fortunate, actually, because um, uh, Graham's PA was on, on her lunch break. So he actually answered the phone himself and <laughs> quizzed me about why I wanted to be a brewer. And uh, we talked for quite some time and, and he sent me the, the prospectus. And I'll never forget the prospectus because it... Um, kind of tells you how old I am, but it was a photocopied prospectus that was stapled together in the middle, 
and then folded in half. <laughs> and um, yeah, it just listed all the modules of, of the postgraduate degree there in brewing and distilling. And I just read the read it and thought, ah, oh, that's for me. So I applied, um, got accepted, but then I deferred it for a year. And then I wrote to every single brewery in the UK, and I got a one-year pupillage at a brewery in Lewis, um, just outside Brighton, called Harvest. So I worked there for a year, uh, which I found tremendous. It's an old historic um, uh, William Bradford Brewery, great still architecture, going. still going, Gravity Fair, all, all the usual stuff that you see in, in, in the old textbooks. And I, and I learned to brew there for a year and then went up to Eric Watt and did the postgraduate degree in brewing. And then from there I worked at a number of breweries in the, in the UK, um, got made redundant three times before the age of 30 and put an, applic- <laughs> put an application in to my ear. that you were the kiss of death to a number of breweries. I was, <laughs> yes, three of them. So, yeah, I left Harriet Watt and worked at Ushers of Trowbridge, which was uh, the UK's largest regional brewery at the time, making predominantly Miller Genuine Draft and Heineken Amstel and... Um, Lambrow and Steinlager and a few other things, uh, which was quite 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 interesting and quite a different landscape to Harvey's, which uh, which was all about cask and and, and squares and all, all that kind of tradition. But yeah, uh, Usher's closed, and then I went to Fuller's for um, a few years and worked at uh, Fuller's in London as a process brewer. And then I, I got a call from. Um, Someone I used to work with at, at Bushes, uh, and uh, he was after a brewing manager at Thomas Hardy in Dorchester. So I went and joined joined that brewery, which was interesting because um, that was a bit of a mix. It was a kind of contract brewing and packaging facility at that point in time. So um, yeah, we did a lot of beer packaging for Green King mainly, and um, I did some uh, brewing there. But uh, it was a lot of RTDs. And then that brewery closed, and um, then I got offered a role with the same business at the Thomas Hardy in Tiverton, which is the old Whitbread packaging plant, which they operated two high-speed uh, NRB lines, one running um, uh, Stella Artois and then one running RTDs, which is when I put my application to come to Australia. <laughs> so, so tell me about, because Thomas Hardy's famous for, for, for the ale, um, the, the Thomas Hardy's ale, what was the history of, of, of the brewery that saw it making RTDs and beers under contract? The brewery um, was Eldridge Pope, based in Dorchester, which um, has a significant amount of, of history uh, in Dorchester. A very large, um, traditional UK brewery. Um, and, you know, if you actually. It's been conver- the brewery's now been converted into apartments and stuff. But if you actually go there, you'll see that the the London to um, Cornwall train actually has a has a, a junction that comes off, and the rail line used to go straight through the brewery so that they could uh, move product from Dorchester to London. Um, Prince Charles used to have his his personal wine cellar at the brewery as well. And uh, when you when I got there and you actually walk around the brewery, you, you just get immersed in this massive amount of, of UK brewing industry. But the business at the time decided, the Eldridge Pope business decided they wanted to focus um, on its um, pub chain, basically, and to sell the, the brewing assets. So they employed a guy called Peter Ward, uh, who was um, the brewing advisor for the World Bank. 
at the time to to sell the brewery, but at the same time, uh, someone was asking him to make RTDs. Uh, can can he find somewhere to make RTDs? So he actually decided to um, lease the brewery and start his own business called Thomas Hardy um, as a as a contract um, producer and packer for some big business in the UK making RTDs basically and. Uh, and he, he just grew the business. He then had uh, Thomas Hardy Burton Wood and then Thomas Hardy Tiverton. Um, and he, he was quite a, a very successful businessman okay. at the time. So I joined the business when uh, when Peter had um, taken over and started this um, contract brewing and, and packaging facility, which... Uh, was was quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite the, uh, the diversion from from talking about uh, talking about you. Um, but yes, yeah, so that was a little bit of an indulgence on my on my behalf. But I, I'm fascinated if we can even just step back a little bit. Um, you did a science degree, but didn't want to work necessarily in a laboratory. What what? What drew you from school to doing a science degree? What was the thinking uh, there? Well, no, I was when I was a youngster, I was really interested in biology and geography, and and with that, I particularly enjoyed those two subjects. And you know, when you're um, eighteen years old and you, you don't know what you want to do, do you? So I went to university to do that degree, which I really enjoyed, but I just didn't want to be lab bound and what I really enjoy about brewing is that um, obviously we make a great product which I enjoy but fundamentally it incorporates all the sciences and you bring all those sciences together with a, a foundation of engineering and and you get the brewing industry so you know we've had a lot of fantastic brewers here in Freo that have chemical engineers or microbiologists or chemists um, from varied disciplines, um, but you know, the brewing really is the, the the kind of coming together of all the sciences uh, to create what, what is a wonderful product. And that's and so for me, I work in a brewery, and I may have a, a kind of um, I suppose a background in in, in 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 cell biology, but fundamentally, there are learning opportunities every day. Um, in terms of the science behind how we make the product, um, which just fascinates me, and, and that continual opportunity to learn and grow at the same time as, as making beer and leading people and doing all those great things that we all do in, in lots of different business disciplines is, is just a, a fantastic career. So, um, you know, I, I went around that brewery um, as, as a young undergraduate and just saw the science being used to make a product that I was passionate about and to hear the head brewer just talk about all the disciplines that you that you needed in order to make uh, a quality product just kind of really appealed to me. <laughs> Listening to all of that um, and, and sitting in this brewery does being on the brew deck and looking at people enjoying your product factor in there on, on any level yeah I mean that's one of the fantastic things about working in, in the brewery that I do is that you have kind of 
people describe it in different in different ways. I mean, some some of the brewers talk about you know it's like working in a fishbowl. You know, you're constantly being observed. But as you, as you uh, as you navigate your way around the brewery, you have that interaction with um, the consumer and the customer in the hospitality venue, and, and quite often you'll get people that stop you and ask you a question. Or they'll stop you and say, "Ah, oh, this beer's really, really good. Thank you very much." Or you know, and and just those touch points and those conversations that you have make make it even more rewarding than 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 just working in a brewery where you don't have that opportunity. But even I, I guess even if you work in one of the the, the national breweries, um, for want of a better word. At some point, you're always in a bar, or you're always in a situation where you see somebody with that product in their hand, um, and and they're engaging with the product in a way that you know people who eat potatoes, you know, a potato farmer is never really going to get that same satisfaction. I would imagine. It's like you know, sometimes I'll go to a barbecue and someone won't know who I am, and they'll be saying, "Oh, this beer, this little creature's pale ale is fantastic." And it, it, you know, at that point, it's quite uncomfortable because you, <laughs> because then when they, you know they're talking to you, you, you're kind of, kind of quite intimate with the product, you know, and then you don't want to you don't want to appear to be very um, you, you know cocky and go, "Well, yeah, that's actually my beer," or, or, or whatever. But it, it is very. Um, Heartwarming, you know, in those moments to to, to see people uh, enjoying, but also talking uh, quite glowingly about the product you make for, for sure. Yeah. When, when did you uh, make the decision to come to Australia, and w- w- was it your decision? Yeah, I came to, to Australia in two thousand and five. Yeah, when, when I got uh, when Thomas Hardy Tiverton closed, I put the application in. I then went to work at Everard's in Leicester, my uh, hometown local brewery, which was fantastic, uh, and and. Uh, at that point in time, you could apply for a permanent residence visa being outside of Australia. Um, and it, it took two years for the process to unfold. But yeah, one day a letter comes through the post that says that you've been successful. And uh, and then obviously you celebrate. And then you've got 12 months to come over here and validate the visa by getting your passport stamped. Um, so we came over for a holiday for a couple of weeks. What, what made you apply for permanent residence in, in the first place? It, it was just the way the process was at the time. It's the, the point system. My, my wife's an accountant and you, you tally up your points, your certain age, your qualifications, is it a job, is the you know yeah. the job that you do on the jobs in demand list, etc. and you tally up the points. But, but you, you wanted to, to, to move here to live? Yeah, I did. Well, we wanted to come out for an adventure. So we came, the two of us came out with a backpack each and a laptop we didn't know anyone here. We didn't have a job to come to. Uh, we just rocked up at the local hostel and um, started to apply for in, in a Perth, job. Like in in Perth. Perth, yeah, we, we'd kind of um, done a, a reconnaissance mission and and really quite liked Perth. And obviously, with um, creatures and feral and, and the kind of craft scene here. Uh, Sail and Anchor as well, and just there seemed to be a bit of a brewing community here, so it seemed quite logical to start the adventure or the journey here. Um, but obviously, both of us were prepared if, if if it unfolded that there was an opportunity in Victoria or wherever, then we, we would just follow the dream and um, see where it took us, basically. But we've we arrived in two thousand and five, and we're still here now. So. <laughs> was Little Creatures the first? brewery you applied for or was it just part of a you know a general approach to breweries 
as part of a general approach. And basically, I, I use the IBD network. So I got in, in contact with the IBD members and went to a couple of meetings and spoke to um, the key people there and, and dropped my CV uh, resume to a number of people. And um, I, I know we're very open. I had lots of conversations and lots of, yeah, come down to the brewery and let's have a chat. And and then, you know, three months had kind of transpired and um, I got a phone call from the head brewer here, Simon Bretherton at the time, and and uh, basically just said, there's a role here, it's yours if you want it. So uh, that's how it started. I, I'd imagine around that time there weren't a lot of skilled um, brewers that hadn't come up through, the, the, it was very early days of craft beer, and Little Creatures hadn't yet had the opportunity to inspire the the rush of brewers that we saw you know shortly after that um i would have imagined that your skill set would have been relatively in demand yeah look i think there was um vacancies were were quite common you had a lot of what i would describe as key talent um jane lewis Andy skade a lot of others in the team that you know that uh that were passionate you know and had their um qualifications but were just starting out in their careers whereas I, I was probably several years uh, more advanced being that, that much a little bit older than, than those guys uh, but you know um, yeah the, the, there's uh, I don't know whether I was particularly in demand but I, I think they were after brewers and certainly if you were a brewer that was qualified and had worked in, in a brewery before then yeah you, you were you, you were highly sought after and the team here at the time were, were just a group of very young, um, very smart, um, passionate, career-focused people, I thought, that really wanted to learn and contribute and, and uh, grow and develop. And so it was a fantastic, fantastic team to walk, walk into. Did your experience making ales, like English ales, um, you know, Little Creatures was live, you know, famously called live when they first launched. Um, w- w- was there any benefit in, in, in that brewing background in terms of uh, the, the beers that were being made here? There was certainly some, some benefit for sure, yeah. Um, y- yeah, so I'd worked in a number of, of, of cask ale breweries in the, in the UK, so I understood the, the process. And then, of course, I've I've also made um, you know mainstream multinational lagers and things. So, I think what I brought is a, a good a good kind of um, systems and process background, uh, which um, I could help the team in that area. Do you remember the first time you had a little creatures pale ale, which I guess was the signature that beer that they launched with? I think I was over here uh, on holiday, and um, yeah, there was. I remember Pale Ale and Rogers, um, and the Pale Ale I thought was a fantastic, and it is a fantastic beer. I mean, it, it, from my perspective, it's an English IPA with American hops, um, but it, it's it's you know we've always talked about our beers being um, about flavour plus refreshment equals balance, and so. That doesn't that doesn't mean it's not complex. It's quite a complex beer, uh, and it's certainly complicated to make. Um, and, and I just loved the, um, I suppose, the, the 
the traditional interaction with that beer in terms of hop back and leaf hops and not pasteurizing and conditioning, um, utilizing or building a brewery around trying to make the best um, pale ale that we could, employing those traditional techniques um, in a modern setting, I found really quite really interesting. I wanted to get stuck in and learn and kind of um, get making it and, and really start to um, un understand, you know, how, how bringing those key disciplines, historical disciplines together could actually really make a fantastic product, which no one else was making at the time. I would imagine there was nothing like it in the UK at that stage um, either, because the, the, the UK craft beer scene kind of developed in parallel with the Australian one, inspired by what was going on in the, in the US. Creatures Pale, I suppose, straddles the two. So, you know, if you get if you grab Worthington White Shield, for example, um, then most people would go, "Oh, that's not an IPA." But ultimately, so it's a it's a it's an English IPA, um, leaf hops, bottle conditioned, etc. Uh, but if you trans if you if you translate that product utilizing Cascade and Chinook, then you you get the American Pale Ale characters coming through. And at the time, um, it was quite a unique and different beer, of course, but the whole industry has moved on now from, I suppose, that that particular product, uh, you know, and so IPAs are kind of, um, and American Pale Ales are, uh, are seen in, in a somewhat different light to when we were first making them 20 years ago. I would love to sort of just drop the question and to say, well, when did lion dumb little creatures down? Because that's one of the the, 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 the standard things that I hear over and over and over again um, about the, the pale ale, that it's not the beer that it once was. But, you know, when I hear you talk about it, you know, there's been this whole world of style development that has gone on and passed the, the, the pale ale by. But... So I guess the question is: Little Creatures Pale Ale the same beer that that, that it was in two thousand and five when you started making it? It's the same beer. Uh, the only difference is the um, is the seasonal variation of the ingredients, but the, but but the process and the raw materials and everything has has remained the same. So um, yeah, there's there's only us in Geelong that can make pale ale the way the way we we make we make it here. Of course, we've had conversations internally about should you know should um, should we make a new pale ale that's you know that doesn't that, that um, where we use pellets and um, and uh, we don't bottle condition you know and we kind of um, make something that's new that's kind of more in tune with the style as it's perceived today. But to be perfectly honest, as a team, when we've t talked about it, we just. We just can't go beyond the parallel that we make. So. so, so when you say the style is perceived today, do, do you mean make it a little bit more robust or make a little? Yeah, bit more robust. So okay. I think you know people say, oh, you know, what's happened to the hops and what's happened this and what's happened there, and it's because if you taste eight or ten parallels now and you've got ours in there, ours is the only one that's got um, you know cone hops and and it's the only one that's bottle conditioned, and so. When you employ those techniques, the beer tends to be, you know, more refined, more delicate, have more finesse, you know. 
Um, and it's not as aggressive. It's not as he hasn't got that, those green raw hop characters that you get from using pellets. And so uh, people's palettes have moved on over the years. And uh, but we've kept parallel the same. I would imagine just in a nationally distributed beer, having an unpasteurised, you know, live beer would present certain challenges. It's um, extremely difficult. Um, in fact, I've interviewed a number of people when I, I tell them that we that we don't pasteurise and we make sterile product. They actually say to me, that's not possible. But it is. It's just extremely hard. Yeah. And it creates an awful amount of stress. As the, I'm only as successful as the current microbes that are coming out of the micro lab. But, um, but, and, and we've updated and refined and developed um, the systems and processes we use um, microbiologically speaking um, to kind of prove that we're in that we have control of our process um, but it is it is a very difficult thing to do I used to have a I mean it's not, not, not good to talk about this on a podcast but I used to have a fuller head of hair before I started working <laughs> and, and uh, now there's none so yeah it's, it, it is difficult it's, it's a big challenge um, so it's not genetic it's, it's work right. related <laughs> <laughs> So now you, you did say that um, it, it, it's, it's a beer that's influenced by the seasons because you know one of the things we love con- describing to people is that beer is an agricultural product, contrary to, to perceptions. But what are the variations that you have to deal with in, in, in hops and malt to make the, the, the beer that we enjoy today as close as you can to the beer that we enjoyed yesterday and tomorrow? Yeah, so in our recipe you'll have a malt grist and a hop grist. And when the new season materials arrive, your, your recipe continues, but you'll notice subtle changes in, in the character, and then you've got the opportunity to tweak the ratios just slightly to try and get the product where you want. And one of the funny things i found being in Oz is, is in the UK, for example, I think this is, or Europe, I think it's celebrated more. So I remember once when I worked at Harvey's, uh, I was in a, I was in a, a local Harvey's pub, and there was three or four old guys sat at the bar, and they were saying, "Oh, the new hops are about to come in. Really looking forward to seeing what the, you know, what the, what the tweaks are going to be like." And they were actually discussing it as a positive, and looking forward to that subtle change and seeing what it's going to be like this year, you know. Whereas when I came over here, there's people were like, oh, you know, it shouldn't be, you know, it, it's changed slightly, and you know, it's, you know, it's not as this, and it's this character's not as high, and all the rest of it. But that's part of the rewarding experience of of, of drinking a product like that is that it's because it's it's such an expression of those materials. You are going to get um, those kind of slightly different kind of. Um, alterations as, as, as the materials come in and out. But I, I think that's something to celebrate and, 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 and actually enjoy rather than something to kind of ponder on on a negative aspect because there's a lot of products out there that you, you can sit on if, if you don't want those variations, for example. But they're not the sort of beers that I, I prefer to, to, to consume. So, you know, um, it depends on your outlook, I think. Is the Australian outlook negatively impacted by the huge success of lagers? I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of reasons that drove it, including our climate and things like that, but the 
pale lagers were, we were so good at making them for refreshment and you know if, if you had one 10 was better um kind of thing but did that change our perception and, and, and our expectation of what beer should be? Um, did you think so that we don't really appreciate those variations the way that you did at Harvey's or you well, at Harvey's? You might be right. There might be some historical context there which kind of um, underpins that viewpoint for sure, yeah. Um, I think the landscape's changed and changed for the better. I mean, when I first arrived here, and I, was, I remember going to my local pub and they had 14 taps and there was 12 mainstream lagers and mercury cider and something else and, and and now you go and it's so much more rewarding to go into your local now and, and you've got such a, a diverse um spread of um, hopefully, hopefully yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I still think there's opportunities there because yeah. um you know i went into my local the other week and there was four mainstream lagers and four hazies so i'm not too sure the the publican there has, has necessarily got the right balance of beer styles across the tap range, but uh, you know things have changed, um, and I think they'll continue to to change, which is which is good. I think. Does little creatures still have the quarantine space for for imported hops? Yeah, yeah. So this is um, a quarantine-approved premise, and, and we still have all those protocols to to navigate with uh, with importing U.S. Uh, leaf hops. Yeah. Is little creature still is the pale ale still primarily U.S. Um, imported hops? Because I remember even ten years ago there was discussion about whether you know sourcing hops the, the, the similar hop varieties but from Australia would influence the um, the, the, the flavour profile. Yeah, we had some good conversations about whether we could make pale ale with Aussie and Kiwi hops, and um, and, and we did a lot of work with HPA in terms of Cascade. Um, and where we've kind of landed at the, at the moment is is a kind of 50-50 split between okay. U, US and ours, which is kind of where we, where we want to be. One, one of the great um, topics of debate in the, in the hop world is the idea of terroir. Um, you know, wine famously uh, you know, is a postcard from the ground that the grapes were grown in. Do hops have terroir? Like, do you find that hops grown in different regions... Um, do express themselves differently in the finished beer? Oh, for sure, I think so, yeah. Um, you'll find that US Cascade, I think, is a little bit more robust, um, a little bit more aggressive, um, and the Aussie Cascade is a bit more delicate and refined. And, I, and the analogy I've always used is Donald Trump versus Kate <laughs> Blanchett, you know. Um, I just, you know, that, that's kind of the way I, I describe that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's still the same hop, but there's some subtle differences between the two. Well, for, for a beer that you described, uh, I, I think, as subtle and complex um, in, in terms of the pale ale, I would have thought the Australian Cascade might have suited that quite nicely then. Yeah, the Aussie Cascade works really well, yeah. We we like a little bit of... The way we landed with 50-50, obviously, um, you know, you're decreasing your risk by gra- grabbing hops from two different regions at two different hemispheres where the harvest is at two different times. So you can manage, um, you know, your, your inventory. Um, but we I do like a little bit of the kind of the more... The balance of the... I suppose the the more robust, aggressive US versus the refined, delicate Oz. I think that the two can 
work really well together. Yeah. Good cop, bad That's cop. right. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you had a degree in cell biology, and yet you've come to love hops, which is a whole different element of the, uh, the, 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 the brewing process. What is it about hops that fires your imagination? When I was at Harvest, we went and, and harvested some hops one evening, kind of wet hops for a brew. And that was the first time I'd been onto a hop farm. And actually, I was sat in the farmer's kitchen with the farmer and his wife and the head brewer at the time. And I suppose that's when the penny dropped in terms of the link between agriculture and the product itself, you know, and the importance of the work that they do, um, you know, in terms of um, producing the great products that we want to make. So and that was the kind of first kind of moment where the relationship between the brewer and the the grower I, th- I kind of um, thought was really important and um, and you know there's so many different hot varieties from different hot regions that um, it provides the brewer with the scope to really explore and learn their craft by actually playing around with these these materials and um, and, and that's one of the joys of being a brewer is is uh, actually getting the opportunity to to play and to develop recipes and uh, learn and, and kind of uh, learn your craft. That was, that's kind of really key for me, I think. Do you have any favourite hop varieties? I've read a, an article where you've basically listed a dozen hop varieties as your favourites, but are there any um, traditional or new hops um, that, that really inspire you? We've played around with two hops um, recently in the brewery, which is Idaho 7 and, and Nectaron. And we've used those um, kind of uh, in the fermenter during fermentation. So we, we've looked at the expression of the biotransformation and uh, we think those two hop varieties really work well in that process. And so recently we've as a team, we've been really excited about um, not just hot variety themselves, but utilising them. Um, is that in pale ale or not in pale ale? In, in uh, experimental yep. brews in our small batch program. So, yeah, we've really enjoyed kind of playing around with the different hops and then seeing which ones we really like um, in terms of utilising that process. And what sort of styles are you, you you're playing around with there? Well, that's the thing because that at the moment is the, I suppose part of the the complexity of the landscape we're in at the moment because, um, we, for example, we made a coastal IPA recently where um, where we used Idaho Seven in the fermenter and uh, we filtered the beer and. Uh, I was out the front and uh, a couple of people grabbed me and they said, oh, this beer tastes really nice. But what beer style is it? And I said, well, we've utilised, you know, I suppose the the hopping process of a, a, an East Coast, but, it, it, you know, technically I suppose it's filtered and uh, and it's uh, not hazy and, uh, you know, it's more of a West Coast style. And they said... Uh, because it's really confusing and we don't know whether we like it. And I said, well, you've just said, you know, you just said you're tasting it and really enjoying it and now you're saying you don't like it. Yeah, well, because we can't, you know, because we don't really know what the beer style is, we, we're we struggling to, to kind of 
can't work out whether we're, we're enjoying it. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm really confused by this conversation because, you know, it seems to me like, it seems to me at the moment we have a bit of a, a kind of pissing competition where, you know, it's, it's all about trying to make the juiciest juice. Um, whereas here in the brewery, we're trying to explore what different hop varieties at different points in the process and what different techniques you can uh, employ to create different characters, which is what really excites us. Um, but some of those characters may not necessarily be juicy. So, it, you know, it seems to me at the moment that s s some brewers are like, well, a new hop comes out and let's determine whether it's uh, an East Coast hop and it's, it's juicy. And if it's not juicy, then it's obviously a West Coast hop. Um, but there are lots of different characters you can get, and I don't understand why everything has to be so one-dimensional in terms of is it juicy or is it, you know, West Coast. You know, the, the, there's lots of great characters that you can... But that sounds like some people that don't want to draw pleasure from the thing in their hand. They want to project <laughs> onto it their own stuff before they can decide whether they enjoy it. Mm. You know, where, where surely it's the pleasure that you get from... The, the drink that should be the determining factor, which it sounds like they initially did until they started overthinking. I think it. overthinking it, yeah. Well, you know, on, on, on a similar, on a similar note, I was out at a pub with a few people uh, a little while ago, and um, we tried this a pint of, of, of a beer no one had tried before, and I, and I said to one of the younger members of, of the group, "What do you think about that beer?" And uh, and he said, uh, "I'd need to." I need to know what hops, what yeast, what malts were used. So I need to go on the internet. And then he said, oh, <laughs> then I'd need to check my socials before I could answer that question. And I said, well, you just drank a pint of it. <laughs> and he said, oh, no, I can't answer that until I, I go onto, onto social media. And, and I really reflected on that conversation thinking, I was kind of really puzzled as to why we can't have a conversation about that beer after we've both drank a pint of it. Why do we need to check social media and, and the internet? Um, and I'm still puzzled by that conversation. But, it, it, you know, I, th I think potentially there's two types of craft drinker maybe. And, you know, when I, when I got into craft, um, you, you know, I suppose I kind of think in my mind that there's the guys that are, say, over 35, over 40 that learn about craft beer by actually travelling to the UK or travelling... Uh, to Belgium or Germany and actually going to different breweries and different regions and actually consuming beer and actually having conversations and and and, um, and travelling really I suppose and then the younger guys have learnt craft through the internet and social media um, and, and that's probably the only logical reason I, I can think about why that conversation unfolded that way so m maybe um the, you know, people learn by YouTube and <laughs> uh, and uh, you know uh, the internet these days, rather than reading books. And, and, and you know, maybe that's just because I'm a bit of an old guy. Maybe. That, that, that. <laughs> well, but it's it, uh, I, I take your point, and, and it is a fascinating concept to, to develop because there have been beers that I've tried that I thought, oh, this this is an okay beer. Um, until I found out that the brewer was trying to make a crisp lager, and it sort of mm. tasted a little bit like a uh, um, a, a Belgian, you know, Pater's beer. And he's going, well, there's obviously something that yeah. the brewer's gotten wrong in this. 
that subsequently changed my perception. You know, it, it was quite drinkable until I found out that it mm-hmm. wasn't what the brewer was trying to make. But there does seem to be an element of people waiting to be told what, what they should think of the fashion before they can enjoy it or not. You know, they, they, they can't wear what they feel comfortable in um, until they, they're told what they should be wearing. You know, I just like beer. And I think there's a, a beer style for every person, for every occasion. So, um, and, and what I love about the beer category is it's so diverse, uh, unlike wine, which I find to be not particularly diverse. But, you know, you can go to Belgium, you can go to Germany, you can go to the UK, you can go to the US, and you can just just explore so many different beer styles. Um, and I really enjoy that. Uh, and... You know, that's, you know, I, I when I was, you know, young, you know, um, when I, for example, when I worked at Harvey's, they only sold beer within a 70-mile radius of the brewery. So unless you were in that region or that local area in Sussex, you, you, you couldn't try that beer. So, And that's what the UK was like. And I remember when people went on holiday, they said, oh, we're going to go down to Devon, so that's, that's flowers country. We're looking forward to having a some flowers uh, for a week or two while we're on holiday, you know, because we're, we're you know, and, but now you can get whatever you want um, whenever you want. And if you want information, you can just go on the internet and you can get it whenever you want, wherever you want. And so the landscape is very, very different at the moment. And, uh, uh, you know, and I, and I think that's impacted, you know, how we, how, how we think and feel sometimes. But I, I definitely think there's definitely... Um, trends which you know people tend to gravitate towards, which kind of I, I think um, perhaps limits and and makes the outlook a little bit one-dimensional. Whereas we can actually explore hops in lots of different ways and not necessarily get too bogged down in, in trying to pigeonhole it into specific styles. We can just enjoy that expression and, and enjoy the beer and, and not necessarily think too hard about it, and then move on and. And just continue our lives, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, it's funny you say that because it, it, I, I I probably overthink uh, a lot about beer, just professional hazard, I guess. But when you look at the difference between wine and beer, I've just sort of always try and work out about the perceptional differences and things like that. And one and one of the reasons does come down to is that grapes don't travel. You can't harvest grapes and then send them halfway around the world to make a Bordeaux in Australia. But the wine travels much better than beer does but then beer's ingredients you know you can sell send barley halfway around the world and make a beer of, of a style but then the beer itself doesn't travel nearly as well and uh, I, I do wonder what the beer culture would be like what the style breakdown would be like if we did drink much much more locally you know, rather than expect to get the same, you know, to, to get American IPAs over here um, and then form our view of what an IPA should be tasting like based on a beer that's come across in some fairly ordinary conditions. It must have an impact, surely, because if you look at the brewing industry in Europe, which is, as, as um, uh, you know, has, has been around for several centuries... All those different beer styles that you get in Europe all started because of, of local ingredients and local brewers' adaption of the raw materials that were at hand at the time. And um, 
Uh, and, you know, whether it's a Saison in Belgium or a, a, a Bohemian Pilsner in, in Pilsen or where, whatever, or a Stout in, in, in Dublin, you know, all these different beer styles all had their own kind of beginning. Um, and it would, have been int- it would be interesting to go back and, and, and actually encounter that firsthand and see how that kind of developed. You know, I often said Moses didn't come down from Mount Sinai with 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 a with a with, a, with the Pilsner recipe. <laughs> Someone would have had to create it, you know, and they wouldn't have created it overnight. It would have been created over a long period of time as they worked through how to use those materials and actually improve the beer and get the product to where they wanted to and at the same time as they were doing that in Pilsen someone was doing it in Dublin it's the same as someone was doing it in London and Amsterdam and wherever you know and uh, I suppose that's and you know they've got you got the water and, and the, the, the malt and the hops all and it all came together to create all those fantastic beer styles so I think if, if we didn't have that to look on it would be interesting to see if, if beer was just starting now what what would, what would it look, it look like? like? Yeah, you know? I actually posed that question to uh, John Hull. Um, you know, would it be the, the, the way that it looked like? But what, what do you think of some of the styles that was <laughs> brewers? Craft beer was famously um, experimental and boundary pushing and things, and now we've got into this arms race of styles that seem to be being developed just for the sake of, um, you know, a highlight or a headline or a, you know, a, a bit of social media excitement. Um, do you think anything will good, you know, anything good will come out of some of the, you know, highly stylized, um, you know, beers, the the juicy pale, you know, the, the really juicy, the extreme end of some of those styles, um, or is it just experimentation for the sake of experimentation? I think it depends on the brewer. Okay. Because, um, I mean, I'm all for new and different. I'm all for learning i'm all for experimenting but i've always kind of i've always felt that there's two key components one is whatever you use the product needs to be integrated and it also needs to enhance the original beer style so if you capture those two things then i think um it can be a very rewarding experience but i've tried some stuff recently which is kind of I've kind of gone oh crikey that that works really well it's really integrated I can see that it's enhanced the beer style that's a fantastic beer and then there's others you try and you just ask one question at the end of it which is why (laughs) and you know I think it it does seem to be an arms race at the moment to try and um, I suppose push the boundaries and that's good if the product's good, I think, yeah. and it works, but then there's times when it doesn't work and it fails. And uh, I don't know it'd be nice to have more success than fail, I suppose. But um, I, I look, I, I'm, I'm. It's exciting, isn't it? New and different is exciting. Um, but then I, I still go and buy Budvar, or I still go and buy Colonial Porter, or I still go and buy Cooper's Red, you know, because. Um, I can enjoy those beers as much as the the oat cream IPA that I, I want to try just <laughs> just to see yep. whether the hops work and 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 uh, you know or, you know so the, but they both have their place I think but uh, one one beer I can't buy um, for love nor money is the little creatures pilsner 
That's true. <laughs> uh, that breaks my heart. It does. <laughs> that is the challenge. I mean, Pilsner, a, a classic beer style, um, inspired modern mainstream lagers, um, for want of a better term, and yet we just don't see you know, the, the number of breweries that have turned the taps off their, their, their Pilsners. What, what's your take on the demise of Pilsner or the, 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 the lack of fire um, that Pilsner can command in the market? Yeah, it's taken me quite some time to digest this one because Pilsner's probably my favourite beer style. Um, I, fi- I find that interesting based on the, the, the chat we've already had. Yeah, um, undoubtedly. I, lo- I like a lot of different beer and a lot of different yeah. beer styles, but Pilsner's always one I gravitate towards. Um, and, and the little creatures Pilsner, we kind of revamped. We gave it basically a boob job in about 2013. and uh, We changed the hops to Perler and we lifted the IBUs up to 40 IBU in pack. Um, and the beer was fantastic, and I think it, it, it won um, champion beer, champion Australian beer at the first IBA kind of um, judging, and, and it was it was fantastic. But it it didn't sell, which really surprised me. It sold in the venue because we've always produced a, um, a, a, a kind of lager or pilsner in the venue to appeal to those people that don't, that that don't want um, a pale ale. Um, and, and the venue has always been about trying to be inclusive and welcoming to everyone. Um, doesn't matter what, uh, what beer you like, for example. Um, but but the Pilsner didn't sell, and um, you know when when you talk to people in in marketing, they they just say that the Australian consumer doesn't understand Pilsner. You know they they understand lager, pale ale, and Guinness, and outside of that, it's a, it's a very complex um, conversation and, and not complex for us because we're so close to both the industry and the product that, that we that our knowledge base is so much greater that that, uh, that, that we understand it a bit better but um, yeah it's quite disappointing and it's quite disappointing and, and because Australia is very much like the UK in the sense it's a lager market so um, Therefore, you automatically assume that people will understand what a pilsner is, um, but that's not the case. And in fact, I was at the Trimmer Brewery in um, in Austria a few years ago. Um, I spent a day at the brewery there, and I was talking to, talking to the team there, and they was they was telling me about the problems of selling Trimmer pills in Austria because the Austrians didn't understand what a pilsner was. They they, underst- they understood uh, Merzen because that's that's the normal beer that, that you get, but they really struggled to actually penetrate the market with a pilsner because the Austrians didn't understand pilsner. And then when I, when I, I was a bit flabbergasted, thinking you kind of in the heart of Central uh, Europe here, and and uh, and you're saying that the consumer base there doesn't understand what pilsner is. So maybe in Australia, maybe we should be a bit more forgiving to the. <laughs> the Australians, you know, because of the geographical if, inconvenience. I don't if, know. If it was that simple, you would just change the name and the beer would sell. But there seems to be something about the beer itself, you know, because a, a rose by any other name would still smell as lovely. Uh, Wordsworth, is it? <laughs> um, but it, it, it seems to be more 
than just the name that people can't get their heads around it. There, there seems to be something about it's not approachable enough to appeal to one end of the market, but then it's not challenging enough to appeal to another part of the market, and it just sort of falls in. It's it's a brewer's beer, um, for for want of a better word. It's, it's like um, Cooper's in in some ways, the sort of beer that people who just want a beer that delivers complexity and more, but don't necessarily want to, you know, have their enamel stripped off their teeth or be overwhelmed by something, but just want to be tantalised um, by, you know, beguiled um, by, by something that they can still just enjoy. In my very simple mind, for me, um, a German Pilsner is, is, is well, it's certainly in North Germany, it's basically a German version of an IPA. It's all about the hop. Uh, whereas a, a Munich Ellis, for example, where you've got more balance between the malt and hop, is a bit more like an English bitter, where you know you've got more balance between the malt and hop again. So I've always enjoyed the Pilsner as much as I've enjoyed an IPA because I find them they're two completely different products, but they are very similar in terms of their about an expression of, of, of the hop character, and maybe and maybe they're just that higher IBUs just. Um, is a barrier for, for some people. I don't know. I, I, I find, as much as I find mainstream lager, uh, mainstream lager is very high quality in terms of um, it's very consistent, it's fault-free, it's very good beer. I just personally, because the IBUs are so much lower, I tend to find it to be quite soapy, mm-hmm. and I need that additional bitterness to... To, uh, you know, for it to be able to pass, you know, the the, the Gosling four pint test. Whereas, <laughs> whereas with, with us, that lower IB, I just find too soapy and becomes flabby, and it kind of just exhausts my palate. Whereas, whereas a Pilsner or an IPA, I just I just find it quite refreshing, but you still got all that goodness and flavour there. <laughs> now, I'm very very conscious of time. One of the things I wanted to speak to you about before. Uh, what we had to sign off was last year in lockdown, uh, Little Creatures had its uh, Little Brewers um, homebrew competition. Um, how did that go? Because you're about to relaunch it this year. Yeah, look, it was fantastic last year. We um, sat down as a group. Obviously, we're all in lockdown and all stuck at home, um, twiddling our thumbs, wondering what to do with ourselves. And we kind of, as a team, said, well, what can we do to bring the community together during this period um, uh, bring you know the community together to, to do something and talk about beer and, and just you know just do something fun and, and bring people together basically and we kind of we, we were talking and, and uh, we've got a brewer sandpit in the venue which is where all our MPD begin their journey and their life and it basically, it's a 50-litre homebrew kit, and, and we were talking about how important that homebrew kit is to the brewery, and um, and, and that's kind of the epicentre of where everything kind of starts and, and where we, we, we do a lot of our thinking. So we kind of said, well, I wonder if there's any merit in us getting the homebrew community together and putting a challenge to them and um, doing some master classes and talking about homebrewing and brewing. And just bringing people together, and yes, it was bringing people together over a number of Zoom masterclasses, which were very well attended, and they were great, great fun. And um, and yeah, then 120 odd recipes came in, which we had to distill down to 10, and 
How, how, how did you do that? Oh, you... man, it was hard. We, 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 we asked them to write a brief on the beer and, and we set a challenge and and then they had to send a brief answering a number of questions and we sat down and we went through them all and um, it was extremely hard to, to do it, but we whittled it down to 10 and then we got the 10 home brewers to send their samples in and we had a great big tasting session and there were 10 great beers that we all enjoyed and then we had to try and work out who the winner was and and um, the winner was this lady called Lily Kerr who um, produced this great paleo with lemongrass and ginger and part of the brief was to or part of the challenge was to make a beer that we could showcase at Fremantle Beer Festival I don't know if you've been to Free Our Beer Fest, but it's it's in November. It's stinking hot, and ever it's sweltering, and we just wanted to make you know wanted to make something that was refreshing, but but also something new and different, and and with different ingredients that work work really well together. Um, and so she yeah she won that, and um, yeah we we brewed the beer here on the big kit, and then we showcased it. Fremantle Beer Festival. So it was such How did it go down? Oh, it went really well. Yeah, people loved it, and um, we did a master class at the fest with with Lily, and she talked about her beer and the experience of, of um, brewing here with us. And um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. It was really nice to see someone who was so clearly passionate about beer, um, and she'd made this product, and then getting the opportunity to actually come into the brewery and, and actually brew it on a larger scale on, on some professional kit and then I suppose to see people at, at the festival walking around with it, drinking it and she, she had the opportunity to talk to them about the experience it was, it was fantastic. Is she eligible to enter again this year? Well TNCs will apply <laughs> but, but, and you'll have to check out the uh, the website for details. Is, is all of this live yet? I, I'll have to... Um... We're about to go, live, okay. about to go live with it, yeah. So, look, it was so successful and we really enjoyed it. So we thought we'd run it again this year. We'll set a new challenge and we'll do the masterclasses again and, uh, and we'll bring the community together to talk about beer and home brewing and, and make some really good products. Is it open nationally or just... Nationally, nationally? Yeah. Okay, there yeah, you go. Yeah. So home brewers, so we, we do have a lot of home brewers in, in, who listen to the podcast. So hopefully yeah, yeah, they can... Yeah, that'd be good, uh, yeah. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes and uh, yeah, check out the details. And, and uh, even if you don't want to uh, brew a beer to enter, you can still join the masterclasses okay. and you know, kind of be part of the community of, of homebrewers talking about homebrewing and beer, and, and just enjoy that if you want to. Uh, or you know, if you want to go f- fully in and, and brew a beer and, and send in your brief and, you, and, you, and your product, then uh, even better. Terrific. Well, speaking of the community of beer and uh, conversations about it, uh, I've very much enjoyed this one. Uh, Russ Gosling, thank you very much for giving up so much of your time uh, to to chat about beer, and hopefully there's a whole lot more that I'd uh, like to discuss, so hopefully we'll get another chance one day soon. My pleasure. Thank you. And that was Russ Gosling who will be receiving a Yeti Rambler mug for his Little Creatures Pale Ale that I wasn't able to fit in my carry-on luggage, so it will be coming through the soggy post this week. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryo Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryo Malt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner, and they are proud sponsors of this episode of 
Beer is a conversation. <laughs>